Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is Dr. Abdulkhalik Abdullah, political scientist from the United Arab Emirates and one of the thought leaders in the region on UAE politics and Gulf security issues. We will be talking with Dr. Abdul Kalik about what he has called the Gulf moment in the Middle East, how the Gulf countries may be feeling about Iran, its new president, Ibrahim Raisi, and the prospects for a new Iran deal, as well as Yemen and much, much more. That conversation with Dr. Abdul Kalik Abdullah begins now. Dr. Abdul Kalik, welcome to On the Middle East. Happy to be with you, Dr. Andrew. Let's start with your article in the spring 2021 edition of the Cairo Review of Global Affairs, which is available online. It's gotten a lot of attention in the region. You write about the Gulf moment in the Middle East and that you expect more, not less, bold foreign policy from the UAE, including in Yemen and Libya, and despite COVID-19 and its impact, why is that? Well, I think that there is something called the UAE momentum. And uh, this momentum is very visible, uh, both domestically and regionally and even globally. And I think the UAE uh, momentum is here to stay. And as a result, UAE's uh, influence uh, is all over the place. Uh, many have talked about uh, uh, military retreats from uh, Yemen and from uh, Horn of Africa and other places. But I think that's just added to what the UAE considers to be uh, uh, re, uh, regrouping maybe and uh, trying to uh, increase its soft and smart influence rather than its hard influence that was very visible during the last uh, five years. Uh, so that is the UAE momentum. However, there is something which is bigger than the UAE momentum, which I call the Gulf moment in Arab history. And this has been going on for some five, 10, maybe even more at the from the beginning of the 21st century. And again, the Gulf moment is here to stay for a while. And it simply means that now the six Arab Gulf states exert more influence over 16 Arab states than the 16 Arab states combined over the six Arab Gulf states. That's the Gulf moment. And the Gulf moment is visible in all fronts. And I am more than happy to defend those two concepts, the UAE momentum and the Gulf moment. How did the response of the UAE and the Gulf to the COVID-19 pandemic stack up to the responses of other countries, including those in the West? And do you see the response of the Gulf countries to the pandemic as illustrative of what you call this Gulf moment in your article? Well, the COVID-19 is a global pandemic, so it's not just limited to the six Arab Gulf states and the UAE included. So we went through the same uh, problem uh, as everybody else uh, on the economics of it, on the health of it, on the social distancing of it, and everything else. 
So this was something that common to the 190 plus countries in the world. However, putting things in perspective, how the UAE GCC uh, states have dealt with it and compare it to whatever, any country, even the top of the list, namely the Scandinavian, for instance, uh, we have managed that, uh, uh, that we have managed the, pand the pandemic, the COVID-19, uh, better than uh, some of the most advanced uh, health and social uh, benefits countries and uh, uh, the Scandinavian being the first uh, that comes to mind. They are a group of uh, countries that have almost similar uh, UDP and similar uh, um, human development records. So in terms of casualties, in terms of uh, fatalities, in terms of how we managed it, I think we did better than probably some of the most advanced countries in Europe and the world. So uh, I think uh, here uh, in the UAE in particular, uh, we not only managed to keep uh, the COVID-19 in perspective, but now we are ready for uh, post-COVID-19, uh, opened up um, to business, and it is almost business as usual with all the precautions that are needed. So I think uh, the pandemic affected everybody, affected us, but I think we are now uh, probably better in a better position than most to start the post-COVID-19 uh, uh, era or period or whatever it is. Whereas uh, Yemen is obviously of um, proximate concern to many of uh, the Gulf states being a state on the peninsula, you mentioned Libya in your article. Uh, what role do you think the uh, GCC states can play there in helping Libya towards stabilization? There are elections scheduled um, in December. And uh, are you and people in the region hopeful about that process uh, toward elections in Libya and putting the civil war behind it? This is a, a question that uh, relates to the mood in the region, probably. The mood here uh, throughout Middle East there is, uh, is to de-escalate tension, try to uh, retreat from hot spots as much as possible, be less engaged, less involved, and this goes to, the, to all uh, uh, conflicts in the region, including the Libyan one. And the UAE uh, role was very important. Uh, uh, for a moment, just like anybody that just like most uh, actors, uh, Egypt, Russia, France, Italy, everybody was there. And of course, on top of all, Turkey was there. But I think there is now a consensus, uh, as we have seen in the, in the last Berlin meeting, and um, how the Libyan managed to uh, come to agree to a definite transition period, and they have a new government. Am I optimistic? I think I am cautiously optimistic for when uh, good reason that really the Libyan people are really ex are exhausted and they don't want uh, this uh, to fester anymore. And I think the regional powers are also uh, found out that there is no winner over there and everybody is a loser one way or the other. So regionally, globally, uh, Libyan-wise, I think there is an opportunity to be optimistic. But this optimistic have to be uh, guarded. We have a lot of mercenaries still in Libya that are take time for them to withdraw. And on top of this, there is a lot of militia that are considered uh, uh, terrorists. And I think that they are not going to give up their uh, control over Tripoli uh, very easily. So 
these two uh, with these two items, one has to be uh, cautiously optimistic uh, for the future of Libya. Since you wrote the article, we've had yet another Israel-Hamas conflict sparked in part by Israeli settlement policies around Jerusalem. The UAE took the lead last year on signing the Abraham Accords with Israel. Other states uh, have followed. The Palestinian issue, however, still seems to have a strong pulse in the region. How has the UAE responded and adapted to the events of the past few months? And can the UAE help engage the Palestinians to unite their leadership and perhaps eventually move towards a regional initiative? Or is the breakdown in leadership in Palestine unresolvable at this point in, in your view? Well, this is uh, uh, the, 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 the Palestinian division has been around and it is very difficult to bridge and uh, I am not very helpful uh, uh, on, on this front. So we just have to live with this Hamas Fatah uh, divide for, for the time being, even after Gaza and everything else, they are not talking to each other anymore. And even Cairo has given up on them. So that is something that is here to stay. And uh, it is gonna be a, a feature, a permanent feature of the Palestinian uh, politics. However, um, on the normalization, UAE, Israel, we have seen the visit by the foreign minister of Israel, the new foreign minister of Israel. And we have seen that the UAE uh, have made it very clear that we are going to work on two fronts, not one. One is the 70 years old uh, Palestinian-Israeli dispute and the need for the Palestinian to have a state of their own that is a just issue that nobody is going to turn their back uh, on it. Uh, UAE is committed to the supporting of the two-state solution, to, that the Palestinians deserve a state of their own, and that the Palestinian uh, uh, people deserve uh, all our sympathy and our support, and this is just uh, gonna be here. It's not going to be affected by the normalization. However, there is the normalization track, which is more of a pragmatic uh, track taken by the UAE and Israel, and of course, America is in here too. And that means that the, U, that the normalization is driven strictly, first and foremost, by UAE's national interest. And there is a lot of benefits uh, that comes out of this normalization uh, uh, with Israel, uh, strategically speaking, uh, uh, leadership uh, role, uh, uh, technically, uh, technologically, uh, economically. So there is a, a lot of benefits. I could list uh, at least 10 uh, uh, benefits. Uh, if we have time, uh, but maybe we don't. So uh, the, the normalization track the UAE uh, has followed is here to stay, and it is irreversible, and uh, as awkward as the Hamas-Israel uh, um, uh, uh, clash uh, was, and it was the first test, this normalization is here to stay, but it is not going to make uh, uh, a dent on UAE's determination and commitment to the Palestinian issue. Parties to the Iran nuclear talks uh, are likely reconvening soon in Vienna, and the deal is at least possible. I think it would be fair to say that the UAE is uh, skeptical about a new revised nuclear deal or returning to the old JCPOA, and perhaps even more so with Ibrahim Raisi coming to office on August 3rd, its president of Iran. 
help us understand the UAE's position on Iran. After several years of a, uh, what we might call a somewhat hawkish stance, there are now contacts between the Emirates uh, and Iran, diplomatic contacts. And of course, there are the Iraqi facilitated meetings of Saudi and Iranian officials in Baghdad. How do you see the trajectory of the next few months around the Iran nuclear deal, Iran's new president, and what diplomacy may be happening in the region itself? The Biden administration seems to be going all the way to uh, finalize a deal of a sort. Uh, The good thing this time, as opposed to uh, the last deal uh, done by the Obama administration, is this is much more open. And uh, the Biden administration have already committed itself and promised and made it clear that it will consult with UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and partner its other partners. So I think there is a lot of uh, consultation and and uh, details, unlike the secretive deal, which just came as a surprise to everybody. Uh, so th- if there is any input, it is done through this diplomatic contact, which is good. So we are aware of the details of it, but we are not necessarily involved in the talk and the technicalities of it. So that's a good thing about this deal. And the second, I think the UAE and the GCC, the six GCC states there is, I think they want also to see a less tension with Iran and less tension in the Gulf. We had enough of this uh, tension. Um, there, were, there were points, there was a time when things were really getting out of hand and we saw that during Iranian attack against the oil installation in Saudi Arabia and against some of the tankers just off uh, UAE here. So uh, things were getting very bad during the Trump administration and there was a need to retreat, to withdraw, to take a, a one step back, uh, try to disengage with Iran. Iran could be very difficult. As you know, we are uh, living next to uh, Iran. We are just 200 kilometers away from Iran, and we are the most, we're going to be affected the most, whether there is a, 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 an agreement or whether there are tension, we are the one that will be affected the most. And Iran has always been a difficult neighbor. It's a huge neighbor. And we've been living with Iran for the past 3,000 plus years. But the Iran of the last 40 years since the revolution and the Islamic Republic has been more difficult than, uh, uh, and uh, more difficult than it's becoming even more difficult. And we expect the next four years probably is going to be even more so as a result of the Ibrahim Raisi's. But we manage the Iran, whether it is difficult or more difficult or less difficult. And uh, I think. uh, we have done fine with our friends, with our partners, with America being around also. And um, so, uh, believe me, we know how we know the recipe, how to deal with Iran, whether it's a Rouhani Iran and Ahmadinejad or now Raisi. And we dealt with eight different presidents that Iranian had since 1980, uh, 1979. But as uh, uh, as facts indicate, it's not up to this president, it's up to Ali Khamenei, uh, the leader up there who's not elected, but he is the one who called the shot. And we just have to live with whatever Iran is. Difficult, less difficult or more difficult. How do you see the situation evolving in in Yemen? Because obviously Iran backs the Houthi group there. The U.S. has given priority to trying to, to bring 
that war to a close. It seems to me uh, that uh, Saudi Arabia and the, the GCC states are eager to bring that war to a close. Do you think that uh, Iran is is ready to engage and encourage its Houthi partners to uh, to step up and be part of the, the process to end the war? You said it right. I think there is no country more eager to stop this war than Saudi Arabia, UAE, and the Gulf, because we are just, this is happening right in the, our backyard here. And no country on earth is willing to, uh, to, 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 to have this uh, Yemen uh, Prices uh, stop more than uh, again Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So that is from our side. Um, uh, it, it has become clear that the Houthis are not necessarily interested as much as Saudi Arabia and the UAE is interested in stopping this war because they are going after Marib and they think that they can take uh, Marib again. And uh, for them, this is a huge price because of so many. Uh, strategic and so many uh, oil wealth, uh, oil wells are there and oil fields are there. So I think uh, until the Houthis come to a, a reasonable conclusion that probably uh, Maghreb is off limit and it's a red line and there's no way to be uh, to, for them to take it, let them try as much as they can and maybe they will. But I think the, 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 the idea here is that it is the Houthi that is not interested in, in peace and Houthis come across and say, we have a mind of our own. We're not taking orders from Tehran. So if you want to talk, come and talk to us. And it seems that Griffith is going nowhere. Uh, the American envoy uh, hardly uh, uh, have made any, uh, any, any tangible results uh, during his uh, short ten tenure. So I'm not very optimistic about Yemen because I think the Houthis started all of this when they took over Sana'a. And uh, now they are responsible for the continuation of the war and the world community has to really, really exert more pressure on the Houthis to relent. Otherwise, this thing is going to continue for some time. The UAE, Saudi Arabia and, and others have been supportive of Iraq under Prime Minister Mustafa al-Khadami. Are you encouraged by the trajectory of Iraq's role in the region? Iraq is uh, having a, a, a good uh, prime minister, Mustafa Kazami. I think he has a national agenda as opposed to the Iranian agenda. The Iranian agenda wants uh, a weak Iraq uh, next to Iran, wants a divided Iraq, wants a sectarian Iraq. Uh, that's their, their agenda. And they have uh, uh, people on the ground that uh, really uh, uh, you know, fulfill all of that agenda. Now, uh, for, for, for the time, uh, for sometimes uh, the Arab Gulf states and the Arab world were uh, accused of turning their back against Iraq. And if that is so in the past, uh, Egypt, Jordan, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, everybody else uh, tried to maybe uh, show uh, that uh, that is not the case. Uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE, the Gulf, Egypt, everybody is reaching out to Kadhimi because we think his agenda is a, a, a nationalist agenda and that's what Iraq needs at the moment to be free of the Iranian agenda. But as you know, Iranians are there and they're in full force and they have a lot of followers there and they're not going to make life easy for uh, Kadhimi or for anybody who wants to make uh, Iraq more independent, more national, and have more affiliation to the Arab world rather than to Iran. It's going to be a very difficult job for the Iraqis to free themselves 
from the Iranian uh, control. In January, the nearly four-year dispute between Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the UAE, and Egypt on the one hand and, and Qatar on the other uh, was put to rest at the GCC summit in the kingdom. In your analysis, is the hatchet buried for good? Yeah, I think the Ula summit that we had in January probably was one of those most successful GCC summits that we had in the past 40 years. So it was really a breakthrough and I uh, call it a success because it put an end to the rift with Qatar and to the boycott of Qatar. And we are into now reconciliation. But this reconciliation is only, what, uh, six months old now or something along that line. And, uh, and, uh, and unlike boycott, which was done by the four countries combined, now we have a reconciliation, which has four different tracks. There is the fast track, uh, Qatar, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is moving on a fast track, 120 kilometers uh, per hour, maybe. Then there is a Qatar-Egypt track, which is also in a, in, in a fast uh, in a fast mood. Uh, they, they have covered a lot of ground, including exchange of ambassadors. And then there is the other two legs or tracks, which is UAE-Qatar, and uh, Qatar uh, Bahrain. And these are uh, more or less in a more slower uh, mood. Uh, uh, the Qatar Bahrain unfortunately seems uh, to be on the parking and in the park lot, in the parking lot, and maybe it hasn't even moved yet. So it's, it's uh, reconciliation. Reconciliation is here. We are war beyond uh, uh, the boycott, but I think uh, we need to deconstruct uh, reconciliation into four components rather than one grand uh, deal of a sort uh, that many people uh, uh, think uh, that uh, this is. Uh, uh, this is, it is not. It's, it's much more diversified than it used to be during the boycott uh, time. Last week, Abu Dhabi Crown Prince and Defense Minister Mohammed bin Zayed spoke with U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan about the Tigray conflict in Ethiopia, where the UAE has been involved in mediation to help de escalate and end that crisis. Can you tell us more about the Emirates' interests in the Red Sea and the Horn of Africa, and whether the UAE may also have a role in helping resolve the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam dispute among Egypt and Sudan on the one hand and Ethiopia on the other? There is a role for the UAE to, uh, to play here in the dispute, whether it's in the Tigray uh, uh, dispute or on the overall uh, dispute over the Grand uh, uh, dam, uh, uh, the dispute between Ethiopia, Sudan, uh, Egypt. If there is one party that is ready to do it, I think it would be the UAE. And if there is one party that can do uh, the most to bring all these uh, people uh, to the peace table of negotiations, it's also UAE because of the fact that we have the strongest relationship with all of these uh, uh, countries, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, on our uh, best uh, uh, list, uh, best, uh, uh, list of friends and partners in, uh, in the region. And uh, the UAE did its uh, role to uh, uh, bring peace to the Eritrea uh, uh, and Ethiopian, and it was very successful on that, so it could build on it. UAE wants to be protected as a peacemaker in the region. This is the new addition to our new role, as I have stated it in the article you mentioned, uh, Dr. Uh, and at the beginning of the conversation. So 
Yes, the UAE can play some positive role. It all depends on uh, you know Ethiopia, Egypt, Sudan, whether they want the UAE to come to, to bring them together on the table. And the Tigray, as um, you know, as uh, as bad as it was, uh, there was a lot of atrocities that has that was committed. I think uh, there is also a role for the UAE to to play. They have a we have a good relationship with the. The newly elected Ahmed Abe, and we have also uh, reached out to the Tigray people, and I think they trust the UAE, and maybe the UAE and the United States could pull uh, their uh, diplomatic efforts together and bring this uh, crisis uh, to an end, hopefully peacefully. How do you see the trajectory of China's role in the Gulf, and should the United States be concerned about losing influence to Beijing in the region? And how does the Gulf manage between these two important superpowers? Well, that is the question of the hour, not for us, but for everybody, the rise of China and the rise of Asia, the rise of China in particular. And uh, uh, China going from a pure uh, uh, economic uh, uh, regional power to more global, not just economic, but even have a political, strategic, and military interest globally. So it is causing a problem, not just for uh, its own neighbor, which are on guard, but to Europe and to America, rightly. And uh, the Gulf is somewhere in between. We are far away from uh, China, and uh, but we are part of Asia. So we are uh, somewhere there, and we have to handle this uh, uh, issue very delicately, especially when the U.S. comes in uh, and try to probably influence and pressure us uh, on certain issue that is of concern, strategic concern to Washington, and UAE uh, will be in the best position to maintain good relationship. The strategic relationship with the United States is as stronger as ever, especially after the F-35 uh, uh, deal that we had and we're happy about it and that is just a sign how UAE is dedicated to strengthen its relationship for the for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years to come with the United States of America even if the United States is thinking of somewhat lessen its uh, uh, military presence in the region but we have a deep relationship investment wise uh, commercial-wise, oil-wise, with China, and China is very important trade partner, it's the number one trade partner. So we are in a position to try to keep both happy. It's not going to be difficult. Uh, many countries are going through the same dilemma. Australia is going through this dilemma. Japan is all, uh, uh, you know, Southeast and East uh, uh, Asian countries are going through this massive dilemma of how to reconcile between their strategic uh, relation with Washington as opposed to their uh, huge investment and trade with uh, Beijing. Uh, so this is, this is going to be here for, for a long time to come. But uh, we have benefited from the uh, rise of China. We have benefited from our relationship with, uh, with America and Europe. We have benefited from uh, the rise of globalization. So I think the, the, the folks down here have managed to utilize all these to the best, uh, uh, to the best of our national interest. And I think they're going to continue the, to do the same. 
Dr. Abdulkawak Abdullah, thank you for joining us today from Abu Dhabi. Always a pleasure to talk with you and, and hear your analysis on the region. It was just a joy to have you here on, on the Middle East. Thank you for having me, and uh, hopefully uh, this uh, goes well with your audience. I'm sure it will. Thank you very much. We will return after this short break. I'm Ben Kaspit, I'll monitor veteran columnists reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I am glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. Thanks again to our guest, Abdul Kalak Abdullah, to Beowulf Rashland of Two Square Media Productions, and to all of you for listening today. We will return next week, and in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other Al Monitor podcast on Israel at your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.